Well, good morning. I trust you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, Thanksgiving is always special to me because some of you don't know that uh, I used to be a turkey farmer and um, I, I raised 30,000 turkeys. So the best turkey is a dead one on the table. So I just want you to know that. And uh, I still enjoy them immensely to be able to eat them. Uh, it's a quite a lifestyle if you've ever raised turkeys. I won't go into all of that this morning. But uh, what I would like to go into is a new series that we're going to look at, and it's called Through Their Eyes. And what I want you to be able to do in the next several weeks is to kind of step back into time, uh, 2,000 years, if you will, and, and identify with the main characters of the whole story of nativity. And, and, and it's sometimes hard to do this because you're so familiar a lot with these stories around Christmas that sometimes we take so much of it for granted. But I'm hoping that this year, these next several weeks as I share these characters, that you would really begin to see afresh what these folks really dealt with in terms of their own lives and what we can learn from them and how they responded. The title of the message today is The Faith of a Teenager. And I, I don't know about you, but do you remember when you were like 14 or 15 years old? Uh, for some of you that are six or eight, you don't remember that yet. But for a lot of us, you know, when I was 14 or 15, a teenager, I, I didn't have it together at all. I mean, I, I don't know about you, and I know uh, there's a lot of kids today that are 14 or 15, you wonder if they have it together. I mean, when I go back to think about when I was 14 or 15, I, I was a freshman in high school. Um, I still had a, a really sharp curfew of 10 p.m., couldn't be out later than that, even on the weekends. And, and I was showing an interest in girls at that time because my hormones are raging like most adolescents. And I, I wanted more independence. I felt misunderstood by my parents. And I was looking maybe for more identity. And friends were the most critical thing in my life. I mean, I was just living day to day. I don't know about you, but when you go back to that and, and you think about your life when you were maybe a freshman in high school, how immature and where we were at. And yet today we're going to look at a young girl who was probably 14 or 15 and how she handled some incredible information in her life. So I want to take you to, to, to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and I want to walk through this passage with me, so follow along. I'm not going to just read it, but I'm going to read and comment through this because when we, we look at a narrative passage, there's a lot of things, I don't know about you, when I read a passage like this, I, I start thinking, well, I wonder what they were thinking or I wonder what they were feeling, and, and, and I begin to kind of, kind of almost identify with where they were at. So I want you to be able to do that with me this morning. So let's start in verse 26. It says in the sixth month. Well, I want to stop right there because the reason why Luke writes this in the sixth month is because it follows up the incident that angel appeared to Zechariah, if you remember, and Elizabeth, who were barren from children into their old age. And Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, telling him that, hey, Zechariah, even though you're old, your wife's going to have a baby, and I want you to name him John. And if you remember, that was John the Baptist. And so Zechariah was, was very doubtful to that. And because of that, uh, God struck him deaf until the baby actually arrived. And so in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth uh, to a town in Galilee. Now, you need to know a little bit about Nazareth. I've been to Nazareth a couple of times, and, and Nazareth is kind of a dusty little town up in Galilee, up in the hills. And it's sort of like the modern day Yuma, you know? I mean, nothing against Yuma, but I bet most of you, the only part of Yuma you've been to is the McDonald's on I-10, right? 
or, or is it I-8? Is it, it's Interstate 8. And, and, and so it was kind of a transitional town. Um, there was a, it was a kind of a pass-through kind of village. Um, and that's why in Scripture later on in the Gospels, it talks about that could anything good come out of Nazareth. I mean, it, it was not a highly esteemed community. Let's put it that way. And so this is where Mary lived. And it says in verse 27, to a virgin, uh, in Nazareth, to a, uh, the angel appeared to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now, this, this pledgling uh, that, we, that he talks about here was a very serious commitment that these two had made. It's not necessarily like our modern-day engagement. It was more serious than that. They actually took vows and made a covenant with one another that they would be pure and they would be faithful to one another until they were married and then that it was consummated in another ceremony. So this was a very serious relationship that Mary had with her husband, if you will, sort of her husband, Joseph. And notice it says a descendant of David, which was critical to the prophecies that were given about the coming Messiah. It had to be a descendant of David. And so both Joseph and Mary were descendants of David. So the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, that word highly favored is an interesting term. And when you study it, you realize what he's saying here is, is that highly favored means is that you have been blessed with a gift of grace. You have been blessed with a gift of grace. Mary, this is something that you don't deserve, but I'm coming to you letting you know that this gift that I'm about to give you is an incredible gift of God's grace in your life. Well, what does that really mean? Well, in verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, I don't know about you, but if some crazy spiritual being showed up in my house when I was 14 or 15, I'd have been scared spitless. I had no idea what's going on. I, you know, the supernatural is kind of one of these weird things. And, and, and here this being comes into my room, into my presence and makes this announcement. I would be scared out of my mind. And she couldn't figure out what this really meant, that this gift of grace was given to me. What, what's this all about? Well, in verse 30, that the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. He repeats himself and says, listen, you are receiving this great gift of grace. In verse 31, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus. Okay. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Okay. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, if you were a 14 or 15-year-old kid, and this announcement was made to you, I don't know how you'd respond. But I know this, when somebody's telling me that I'm going to have this king in my being somehow, some way, and then his kingdom will reign forever, this is really a mystery. This is crazy stuff. So Mary responds, whoa, 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 time out here. That's not exactly what she said, but that's kind of how she's feeling. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Now, you know, this is crazy stuff when you read about it. And what I want you to know is that when Mary said, how will this be? It wasn't the fact that she didn't believe that this could happen. She just wondered, how is it going to happen? Now, this is different from Zechariah because Zechariah, when he expressed his doubt to the Lord, when Gabriel appeared to him, he was totally doubtful and said, oh, this isn't going to happen. No way. 
This is, this is not logical. It's not practical. It's not possible. My wife is beyond barren years. This isn't going to happen. So there was a, a doubt response here. But with Mary, it was more, okay, I believe it. But how's this going to happen? Okay, I want you to understand that. So verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Whoa. At that moment, I don't know about you, but if I were Mary, I would be thinking, what? I'm going to bear the Son of God? What does that look like? The Son of the Most High, this person whose kingdom will reign forever. Are you serious? This is, this is crazy stuff. So even Elizabeth, the angel says, your relative is going to have a child in her old age, and she was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. He's like, listen, Mary, your, your relative Elizabeth, she's pregnant, and she's six months along already, and, and you realize that she was way beyond childbearing. So this is nothing's impossible with God. So, you know, you know, really understand this, that nothing is impossible. Do you guys believe that this morning? Do we really believe that nothing's impossible with God? I, I, I you know, there's days where I think, no, it, it, it's impossible. It, it can't be true. It can't be. It's not logical. It doesn't fit. It's not scientific. It's not, this doesn't make sense. What does Mary say? Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Her response was, okay, I'm in. I'm all in. Really? Now, what I see here is an act of real childlike faith. Maybe she was a bit naive being a teenager. But the point is this. Do you realize the kind of implications that this had in her life? He was, she was married to her, to her husband, if you will, and she was to remain a virgin until that marriage was consummated. And now she has to go and tell Joseph that she's pregnant. And then with all the consequences of that, with the gossip in the town and all the rejection that may be felt, because nobody would really believe this. I mean, would you believe it if, if, if somebody came to you, if a teenager came to you one day and said, hey, I'm pregnant with the Holy Spirit, what do you think? <laughs> what are you going to say? And so this is, a, this is a girl who really was struggling here, and she's being able to, able to say, regardless of what the consequences, what all the logic and the logistics were about it, she said, listen, I am available. I'm your servant. Can we say that today? God, whatever it is you want me to do in my life, Whatever you want to use me, whatever you want to do in my life, it may sound really illogical. It may sound really stupid. It doesn't make sense to me. But God, if that's what you're telling me I need to do, then I'm, I'm available. I'm your servant. This is incredible. You can say you can chalk it up to her naivety. But in reality, there was, there was something about Mary that she grabbed on to what God was saying to her. So what does Mary do? Well, verse 39 at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. We don't know exactly where that town was, where, where she entered Zachariah's home and she greets Elizabeth. Isn't that typical of a pregnant mom? 
They want to go find somebody else who's pregnant and they have such great stories to talk about, whether it's their morning sickness or, you know, you know, anticipating the birth of their child and they were both going to have boys and all those kinds of fun things that they were able to say. But I'm also thinking that it was just an opportunity for her to verify a little bit of this miracle that was going on in Elizabeth's life. So she goes up to her relative Elizabeth in verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on. Are you kidding me? We abort babies at six months in this country. And here's a young baby six months in the womb that somehow knew the presence of the Lord in his life. Is he, I mean, do you blow, does that blow your mind a little bit? Here's a little baby six months old that leaps in his mother's womb because he knows he's in the presence of the Lord. And here's a woman who is filled with the Holy Spirit because she too knew that she was in the presence of the Lord. Wow. Verse 42, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. She was so thrilled for, for, for Mary and she could have been jealous, but no, she was thrilled. Why? But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of the greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. She said, are you kidding me? Mary is unbelievable. She believes all of this. She's put her faith and trust in the fact that this is actually going to happen. So she celebrates. So does Mary. And this is the reason why I wanted to share this at the end of Thanksgiving, because sometimes we overlook this prayer that Mary prays because Mary was so incredibly grateful to what God had just done in her life. She had to express it. And what's really powerful here, when you read this, the maturity and the depth of what Mary shares here is beyond belief because this is a 14 or 15-year-old girl that never went to Hebrew school. Girls weren't allowed to go to school. She didn't have what apparently she learned, what she learned from her parents in her home. She had this depth of theology that was unbelievable. Here's what she says, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my savior for he has been mindful of this humble state of a servant. All thanksgiving starts with humility, doesn't it? From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And now look what she says. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Does this sound like a 14-year-old kid writing? He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. What is she saying here? I believe in the sovereignty of God. This almighty, powerful God, he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever and ever, as he said to our fathers. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three more months and then returned home. She stayed with Elizabeth until she gave birth to John the Baptist. So here's a girl who God appears to with the angel Gabriel, and she responds this way out of great humility, feeling totally blessed, yet knowing that there were consequences that she would have to face. So what can we learn about Mary? 
Well, I wrote down some things that I think were really, really important that we can apply into our own lives. And the first one is this, that God will often use the ordinary to do something extraordinary. I mean, think about it. All through biblical history, he used Moses, who said he couldn't even speak publicly. And yet he goes before the Pharaoh and he leads a million plus people out of bondage, out of Egypt. He used a staff in Moses' hand to really demonstrate the power that God had in his life. He used a bunch of fishermen to turn the world upside down. He, he used a donkey to stop Balaam from cursing Israel. And I heard one theologian say, if he can use an ass, he can use you. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that, but that's true. You see, what God wants is our availability. That's point number two. God doesn't need us to do the spectacular. He just wants us to be available. Do you, I mean, I know in my own life, I keep saying this to the Lord. God, when you're done using me, will you please take me home? Because I, I, I don't want to stop being used by you, God. I don't care how old I am, but I just, I just want to be your servant. I want to be available. I mean, are you available this morning? I mean, honestly, if God were to say to you, I, I want you to do this, or I want you to make this decision, I want you to get out of your comfort zone, I want, I want you to share your faith with so-and-so, I, I want you to step out of your comfort zone, are you available? Are you be able to say like Mary, you know what, no matter what the consequences, no matter what the logic is, no matter what all of the excuses that are out there, God, I am available, I'll just do it. That takes a lot of nerve, a lot of faith in reality. God doesn't need us to do the spectacular. He just wants us to be available. Are we available or are we not? Here's the third thought that I had. God wants us to have a greater childlike faith. You know, if I were Gabriel, I was thinking about this this past week. If I were Gabriel, I, I would be wondering what Mary's response was going to be because he'd already appeared to Zechariah, the old guy. And so the old guy responds, yeah, I don't believe it. It's not going to happen. And Gabriel's probably saying, oh, come on. Okay, well, okay, Zachary, if you don't want to believe it, okay, God's going to strike you deaf. Okay, that's how I'm going to deal with you. So he goes to Mary. And I'm thinking, if I were Gabriel, and I'm going to Mary, I mean, now I'm going to this young kid who is this teenager, and I'm going to tell her that she's going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit? This is going to be a good, good. Now, maybe that's not what Gabriel was thinking, but I, you know, I, I got to think through this for a minute. And I'm thinking, but what does Mary respond? Okay, I got it. How's this going to happen, though? How, tell me how this is going to work. I believe it. Tell me how it's going to work. Like, how refreshing for Gabriel to hear that from Mary after what he dealt with with Zachariah. Why? Because, I, you know, you could say Mary was maybe a little naive being a teenager, but in reality, this young lady, just when she heard from the Lord, she said, you know what, no matter what it costs, I'm available. I'll do this. I'll, I'll, I'll jump off the cliff with you, God, uh, whatever consequences that are out there, whatever. And believe me, we're going to look about a little, little bit about that next week when we look at Joseph's life, because we're going to see that there were tremendous consequences to this. I mean, can, can you imagine people in town saying, yeah, do you hear what Mary said? Are you kidding me? She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Oh, come on. 
And, and the gossip must have been incredible. The backlash must have been unbelievable. And yet Mary said what? I'm your servant. You know, what, what happens to us, I think, the older we get, it seems like we see life differently. And, and so we, we, we kind of get into this logic mode and, and this, you know, and so, you know, especially those of us who are control freaks and God's saying, you know, I want you to do this. And we think about all of, well, what's, what's, what could happen here? Or what's the good? What's, what are the positives? What are the negatives? And we start just wrestling with all this stuff out there. And meantime, we're sort of paralyzed by, by, by analysis, by paralysis. And God's saying, are you available or not? Are, are, are you going to respond to me or aren't you? And so there's this, this childlikeness that I see here where she steps out in faith, regardless of those consequences, regardless of what Joseph may think, regardless of what the community thinks, it doesn't really matter for her because she wants to be only responsive to what God's call in her life. I remember the reason why Thanksgiving is always a, a great time for our, for our family is because 33 years ago, God spoke to me in a scripture in Isaiah where he said, make your highway in the desert. I was living up in northern Wisconsin, and it was blistering cold. And God was moving us out of the church that we were in, deeply wounded. And I remember telling Lynn one day that, honey, I think that God wants us to move to the desert. Whew. And uh, I told the kids, and the kids said, you know, I think God's telling us that we're, we're to move. We're going to move probably down to Arizona or New Mexico somewhere. And, and our kids didn't really want to move. They would rather gone to Africa than to Phoenix at the time. That's actually true. And I, I, was, I remember when we loaded up the, the U-Haul and we were driving up from Verde Valley. You know that, that Verde Valley, and you come up that big hill on I-17. And I remember driving along in the truck. My wife was following me. Lynn was following me in the, in the car with the kids. And, and I'm driving up the hill, and the tears started to come. And I'm thinking, what did I get my family into? We're going to plant a church in Phoenix, Arizona. I don't know anybody. I don't have any money. I'm moving. I don't even have a place to live. But those were the days, and it was sort of that childlike faith, I think, that God prompted. And I've, I've often wondered now that I'm, quote, 33, 34 years later, would I do the same thing? You know, let's be honest. And sometimes, you know, we get so mature in our faith. We think that maturity is, is all about caution or, or, or about logic and all about wisdom and about life experience. And sometimes I think, dog, we just go for it. Sometimes there's days where we just need to jump off the cliff and trust God when he's saying, do it. God wants us to have a greater childlike faith. Here's the fourth thing that I thought from Mary when I looked at her, and I've already alluded to this. Mary says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the what? Humble state of a servant. You see, all thanksgiving begins with humility, doesn't it? I, I, I got this quote uh, this past week from Mark Kirkendall. He threw it on Facebook, and I just thought it was, I thought it was so cool. And it said this, you know, we spend all day Thursday and Thanksgiving thanking God for all of his blessings. And on Friday, we stomp over everybody else in the stores to get what we want next. You know, isn't that the way we live? It's so ironic. 
There's such entitlement in our culture today, isn't there? And we look at especially young people. And, you know, when I was with the Phoenix Police Department as a chaplain, I would see all the old cops that were the old SWAT guys who were the, the, the you know, the old pros. And they'd see all these young guns coming in and they always want more money and they want more prestige and they want more control and they want more power and they have all these entitlement issues. Thanksgiving begins with a heart of humility. And here was a, a teenage girl that, that, that grew up obviously very poor in a very dusty, crummy old town called Nazareth. And yet she said, you know what? I am so grateful. I am so grateful because she was humble. And I think we need to think back again and re- recognize in our own lives. I know my kids, just my son and daughter just got back, daughter-in-law just got back from the Dominican Republic working with a bunch of deaf kids. And I see the smiles on my grandkids' face through Facebook and my son and my daughter-in-law with their grins on their face because they see how grateful they are for what they have and what these kids don't have. And it humbles you. Humility starts. We never will be truly thankful until we're truly humble. Here's the last thing. Every one of us have been highly favored. My, my goal today, and when you walk out of here, if you know Jesus, you are no different than Mary. Because some, one day in your life, God somehow appeared to you, spoke to you, and moved you to a point where you said, you know what, I accept you, Jesus, that gift of grace that I didn't deserve, that I didn't earn. And it was the most precious gift on earth. And you gave it to me, you offered it to me, and you chose me, and you're a favored one. And you get to bear the Christ child, if you will. You see what I'm saying? In other words, we're we're all favored ones because it's by grace we've been saved, not by our good works, not by something we've accomplished, but it's what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's powerful to think about this. You see, we're all favored ones. And didn't we have an immaculate conception? Isn't that what Nicodemus was told? That we're, we come to know Jesus, we're born again. We're new creatures. All things have passed away, all things have become new. We were an immaculate conception. And so when I look at Mary, I just think, wow, it's easier than I thought to identify with a 14 or 15-year-old girl who was pregnant. Amen. You see where I'm at? You know what? There might be somebody here this morning, too, that I didn't share in the first hour that maybe you've never met this Jesus. I mean, met this Jesus whose kingdom will never end. And by the way, no matter what's going on in this stupid world that we're living in today, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to this baby who was born in a manger. Amen? So if you've never given your life to Christ, surrendered your life to Christ, you're missing out on the greatest gift that could ever be given to anybody on earth. So let me ask you a few questions like I always do at the end of a message. What's your faith like? Those of you who know Jesus, what's your faith like? Is it become more adult-like or has it become more childlike? Sometimes I think we equate adult faith with logic and all of that, you know what I mean? And yet, really, adult faith is not what it's cracked up to be some days. For some of us, maybe we need to just take a leap. 
without having all the answers, without having all the, 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 the peripheral that we're just saying, okay, God, I'm your servant. I'm available. I'll, 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 I'm doing it. I'm going to go for it. This past week, as you celebrated Thanksgiving, did you celebrate with humility? Were you able to thank God like Mary, that somehow God, this humble servant, you came and you gave your life, and the greatest reason for us to give thanks this morning is for who? For Jesus in our life. Amen? Will you pray with me this morning? Father, We've sung about you, how you gave us your son, a king who left his throne to become a human being. But this morning we celebrate with Mary, knowing that every one of us who know you this morning have been favored. The greatest gift that's ever been given in our life was the gift of grace. And perhaps, Lord, there's somebody here this morning who's not experienced that. They're still trying to figure life out, still trying to perhaps earn their way into a heaven that won't receive them because they haven't received you. For some reason, Lord, this morning, I feel like I need to ask this and while your heads are bowed and is there somebody this morning that's never met Jesus? I mean, really met him and really have never experienced the gift of his grace so that your sins can be forgiven and that you can have eternal life. What, what greater way to enter into the Christmas holidays than to know Jesus and for the experience for the first time what Christmas is really all about? If that's the desire of your heart this morning, what I, I'd encourage you to just come up here after the service and pray with Dan or somebody or just let us know through an email or who knows what God's doing in your heart and life. But it's the desire of your heart to know Jesus and to make him Lord of your life and to ask forgiveness of your sins. You can do that where you're sitting. You don't have to, to pray a special prayer other than God knows your heart. Lord, thank you again for Mary, for reminding us of how you can use anybody, anytime, any place, if we're just available. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.